Our uh, kids can, uh, if they want to head back, there is Miss Kristen back there awaiting your arrival. So, <laughs> um, if you can believe it, we only have one more week of the Jesus Storybook Bible. So, um, times are drawing nigh. Look at those shoelaces. These kids these days are so dapper, aren't they? Um, so this morning we're going to be looking at the story of uh, Saul. Um, and of course, when we look at the life of Saul or Paul, we could talk uh, for a long time about all of his life, but we're going to kind of focus this morning uh, on the, um, primarily on the story of the road um, to Damascus. And so uh, that comes to us from the book of Acts, chapter 9, and we'll be looking at verses 1 through 19. So I invite you to hear these words. Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. And at this moment he is praying and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. Come in and lay his hands on him so that I so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil has been, has done he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. And I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. God, we come to you this morning knowing that you work in miraculous and amazing ways. We see you do this, Lord, in the story of Saul. And I hope and pray, God, that we trust that you continue to do it in this time and in these days and even today. And we pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength 
and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, um, in two weeks from today, on uh, Mother's Day, um, our kids' choir, the Sunshine Singers, are going to be up here on this very stage uh, singing. And it's going to be uh, delightful, I'm sure of it. And my, uh, my two girls, or two of my four girls, the five and the four-year-old, uh, are very excited about, uh, about this opportunity. In fact, all week they've been, you know, kind of listening to these songs, you know. And as I said earlier, it's amazing uh, how they can listen to these songs 50 or 60 times and never be annoyed by it, unlike their parents. Um, <clears throat> so I'm really happy, quite frankly, for it to go ahead and get over with. And, um, but we don't know. Our five-year-old has been up here before, but we don't know what our four-year-old is going to do. Adelie's a little bit of a different kind of girl, and, and um, we don't know for sure how exactly she's going to react. I mean, is she going to be up here and just be joyful and, and sing loudly, or is she going to kind of be uh, nervous and just kind of stare at everybody? Uh, um, is, she, is she just going to find her mom and dad and just kind of wave the whole time, or, or, or is she just going to hit her sister throughout? We, we really have no idea. All we know is we're excited to see exactly uh, how she responds to being up uh, on the big stage, so to speak. And I can remember, I was thinking about earlier this week, about the first time that I ever kind of made my debut, if you will. Uh, I was about Shaughnessy's age. I was probably right around six years old, and I had been given a solo for the Christmas program. So I was, I was pretty psyched, and so I was, um, I, 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 was, I was thinking about it. I knew that this was just the tip of the iceberg, that I was going to be big time uh, singing. I was quite certain of it, and so I had practiced a lot, and I was ready, and we were, we were in the rehearsal room right before uh, we were going to go on stage, and so I was, you know, sitting there, and like a six-year-old boy is apt to do, I was uh, uh, thinking primarily not about what I was going to do soon, but, but about how I could uh, find a good way to make my friends laugh. Um, this has really been always been a goal of mine. And so as I was sitting there as a, as a six-year-old boy, I came up with a great idea, which I realize you are going to think is not that great of idea. But as a six-year-old boy, I thought it was a great idea, which was uh, when the girl who was standing in front of me decided that she was going to sit down, I was going to remove the chair quickly so that she would fall. Everyone looks at me as if I just did this yesterday or something when I tell the story. So, again, as a six-year-old boy, this is pretty good stuff. And so I, I pulled out the chair, and sure enough, it worked perfectly. And she fell on the ground, and my friends were laughing, and I was laughing. I mean, it was perfect. Except for the fact that what I didn't realize, but I came to discover, was that my mother, uh, when she was a kid, something similar happened to her, and she broke her tailbone when that happened. And so she had some pent-up emotion around that kind of thing. And she happened to be in the room and see me do it. And so before you know it, I was in another room that was very dark and very scary. All this to say that by the time I went up on center stage for my debut, my backside was hurting at least as much as the girls whose chair I had pulled out. And I was crying as well, and I couldn't stop crying. And so when the lights came on... I just kind of sat there the whole time, and I think I got two or three words out, but it was really kind of a nightmare, quite frankly. But the other thing that I recall very vividly about that experience is that when I was standing there crying and trying to catch myself, that there was a spotlight that came on me. And much to my surprise, when that spotlight came on me, I could see absolutely nothing. 
Right? You always think that if you add light to a situation, you're going to be able to see more, to see better. And yet the reality is, when it was a light that was that bright, I could see nothing in front of me. And I always think about that story when it comes to this particular story of Saul on the road to Damascus. Because here is Saul who thinks that he is seeing everything perfectly. He thinks that he's seeing the world, that he's seeing God. He thinks everything is crystal clear. He sees with great clarity. And then all of a sudden, the sudden flash, a bright light, and all of a sudden he begins to question everything that he thought he saw and understood. I mean, think about this. Saul is coming in and he's leading all of these men. He is in charge. And right after that bright light, all of a sudden, he is being led like a little child. Saul, who thinks that he has his whole future worked out, he knows exactly what it's going to look like. He's going to keep going and finding these crazy Jesus followers. All of a sudden, he has no idea what his future is going to be like. This is what we see happening in this particular story. And we oftentimes, when we talk about this story, we talk about it being the conversion of Saul. And without question, that's exactly what's happening here. This is a conversion of Saul. And yet, as I think about the story, it seems to me that perhaps we shine the light so brightly on that particular moment in Saul's life that we think or we are blinded to the reality that conversion is about much more than just one moment in time. The Jesus Storybook Bible, I think, gets it right when it titles this story, A New Way to See. Seeing in a different way. Because one of the things that we discover, those of us who are living a converted life, if you will, is that it isn't about simply one moment. It is about a bunch of moments when God keeps intruding into our lives. And as he does, we begin to see things differently. Right? So think about Saul immediately, right? He is intruded upon by God, and because of that, he begins to see Jesus differently. Right? He had thought all this time that Jesus was against God, that Jesus and his followers were against Saul's worldview. And so he never would have considered anything about Jesus at all except for the fact that he was intruded upon. And in that very moment, and from that day on, all of a sudden, all he could think about was Jesus. And so he started talking about Jesus. And all of his letters, again and again and again, we'll look at one of them this summer, is all about the sense of what does it mean to look through the lens of grace. Everything that he did. Every place that he went, every person he saw, everything that he said was different because he now saw Jesus in a different light. So when, G, or when God intrudes upon your life, when there is an intrusion, then you are converted into seeing Jesus differently. But it's not just Jesus that you begin to see differently when God intrudes upon your life. You begin to see other people differently as well. Look at the story of Ananias. This is a great, great story. I love the story of Ananias. Here you have Ananias who has already had an intrusion in his life. He already knows that Jesus is Lord. He's a disciple, as Acts says it. And yet all of a sudden, God is going to intrude upon his life yet one more time. Ananias is a good disciple. He's studied the scriptures, it seems, and he knows exactly what to say. Because God says to him, Ananias, and what does Ananias say? Here I am, Lord. 
right? Now, this is what you're supposed to say. This is textbook answer. If God ever calls you, you say, here I am, Lord, right? And Ananias, you can just see him. He's, he's probably excited. He's like a kid in a classroom. And the teacher, he knows the right answer. He says, here I am, Lord. And, and God says, all right, I want you to go. And Ananias says, go? That's all you need to tell me. G-O, I am going. And so he, he's putting on his coat. Maybe he's strapping up his sandals. He's thinking, oh, this is going to be great. I, I can't wait. Where do you want me to go? And, and, and God says, I want you to go to the street named Straight. And he says, oh, I know exactly where that is. Got a great little deli there. I'm totally going there. I know right where it is. And so he, he starts going to the street named Straight. He says, okay, this is going to be great. Okay, he's, he's picturing it in his mind. I know where it is. He says, okay, and I want you to go to the house of a guy named Judas. And he says, okay, I know Judas. Oh, what a great guy. I love that guy. I'll bring him some sandwiches. It's going to be perfect. And so he all ready and everything is great and, and Ananias is psyched about this and then God says okay and, and here's who you're going to find you're going to find there's a guy there I don't know if you've heard him his name is Saul he comes from Tarsus anyways he's had a he's had a vision and I need you to go and I need you to help him to see and Ananias says look I know you are very busy God and so there is a great chance that you haven't heard the news. So let me inform you. Because this is what he does, does he not? He informs God of who this Saul is. And he says, this Saul that you're telling me about, he didn't come here to pray. <laughs> he, he came to persecute, and he's already been doing some pretty big damage in Jerusalem, so we'd prefer it. I don't think he's really here to cuddle, if you know what I mean. I think he's here in order to kill or to persecute who we are. And I always love the way that God responds, right? I think God listens to us all the time. I want you to know this. God loves listening to us. But there are times, it seems to me, when God, quite frankly, doesn't care what we think. This is one of those times. If God tells you to go, he doesn't care about the great excuses that you can come up with. Because, of course, what does God say? What are the very first, what's the very first word God says to Ananias after he's come up with all these great excuses? Go right? That's great, Ananias. Okay, now you just go ahead and get up and go like I told you. And that's exactly, it says, go, I've got something, I've got good plans for this Saul, so I want you to go. And Ananias here then has a big question that he has to answer, which is this. He clearly believes that Jesus has been raised from the dead, but does he believe that his enemies can be changed from who they were in the past. I want to say that question again because it seems to me it's a question that perhaps many of us wrestle with. It is sometimes easier, is it not, to believe that Jesus has been raised from the dead than to believe that people can change and that God can work through anyone. And this is exactly what Ananias had to figure out. And so we don't know how long it took him. I mean, this story doesn't tell us. And sometimes we just say, oh, well, it just immediately, he just said, oh, okay, if you say so. But I wonder, how long did it take Ananias to get to the house of Judah? How long? do you? Even though the street was called straight, don't you think he took a pretty crooked way to get there? I mean, don't you think he started walking and he, he started thinking as we oftentimes do, okay, you know what, I can believe that. That Saul, the guy who's been persecuting everybody and who has come here simply to persecute, yeah, okay, I can, I can begin to see him differently. And then all of a sudden he starts thinking, what am I, an idiot? And so he starts walking this way. 
And, and then he says, no, maybe he can. And so he starts to walk this way. And then he says, no, no, there is no way that Saul is changing. And so he starts going back this way. Until eventually, though, we know, eventually he makes it to the street named Straight. Eventually, he says, I am going to have the faith to believe that what I am seeing is going to be different than the way I used to see things, which is that God can work through anyone. And we know that the conversion has happened because of the simple fact that the first thing that he says to Saul is not this man, as he had referred to him when he was talking to God, but what does he say? Brother Saul. And immediately we know that Ananias has been converted again. And it is a great reminder, it seems to me, that whenever... Whenever we are intruded upon by God, that Jesus will make sure that not only do we see him differently, but that we begin seeing others differently. He will never allow us to keep seeing one another in the same way if we begin to see him differently. So conversion is seeing Jesus differently. It's seeing our neighbors differently. But it is also about seeing ourselves differently. You guys have heard this preached on. I'm sure that as soon as Jesus or as soon as the Lord shows himself to Saul, he says to Saul, not why are you persecuting my followers, but he says, why are you persecuting me? Right? In other words, in Jesus' understanding, once you begin to see him as Lord, then who you are changes. You are no longer yourself. You are a part of the body of Christ, which is why Paul continues to talk about in all his letters how we are the body of Christ. And I love how Martin Luther, Martin Luther has this great quote about sin. He said that sin is the self curved in upon itself. So think about this. It is like a roly-poly, okay? Everyone know a roly-poly? So roly-poly, right? You know what a roly-poly does? Just like this, right? If I was more flexible, I could be at more of a roly-poly. But what do you think? When a roly-poly is wrapped up on himself, what do you think the roly-poly sees? He sees nothing or himself. That's fine. No, it's a good answer. He sees nothing or himself. And that's all that he sees. But what happens here is when we are converted, if we begin to see ourselves as the body of Christ, what happens is rather than simply seeing ourselves, we are now wrapped around the body of Christ. And so all of a sudden, we begin to see ourselves differently, which means that we have a different mission and a different purpose in life. This is why conversion is so attached to vocation. Because as soon, the Lord says, as he says, Saul, Saul, he says, has a plan. I have a plan for him. He is going to be the person who goes before the Gentiles and the people of Israel and the kings. All of a sudden, Saul has a different vocation. He sees himself differently now that he has been converted. So conversion then helps us to see God and each other and ourselves in a different way. In such a way, actually, in this unique cycle of faith, that at some point, as we see with Saul, we are the ones who are going in and intruding upon others' lives in the hope that when we share the light of Christ, that they might begin to see differently as well. And I was thinking about that this week because of something that I did last Sunday 
afternoon. Last Sunday afternoon, I went to a, a, a it's called a closing, I think, closing worship service um, um, with a group called Kairos. Kairos, we've talked about them a little bit here, uh, is a prison ministry of which uh, ZPC has been a, a pretty um, important part. Um, a lot of folks from here have gone to men's prisons and women's prisons. It's a, a really kind of a unique um, ministry. And one of the main things that they do is they go to a prison for a weekend um, from Thursday to Sunday. Uh, and the guys go there, um, and they, they simply try and express the love and grace of Jesus however they can. They give them a lot of food, uh, a lot of good food apparently. They have a lot of time to, to discuss, to listen, um, to talk. Um, it's this pretty remarkable experience, uh, clearly. And, and, and as I was thinking about them, as I was there, I was already thinking about the Sunday today, and I realized that in some ways, of course, what these guys are doing, the guys who go in, the volunteers who go in and spend the whole weekend in prison, what they're doing is they are going in and they are, they are intruding in people's lives. And their mantra, right, I think this is it, is listen, listen, love, love, right? And this is something that you have to tell the men a lot of times, right, because we're not very good at that, right? So listen, listen, love, love. It is a Christ-like intrusion, if you will. And so what I was invited to go to last Sunday afternoon was this closing, and it was at Lebanon. Anyone have ever anyone been at the, not at Lebanon, I'm sorry. Thank you. Pendleton. Um, Lebanon, Pendleton. I know it's not all the same thing. I apologize. Pendleton, okay? Sorry. Pendleton. And who's been to Pendleton Prison? Yeah. Who served time at Pendleton? Pendleton Prison, right? And it is, it is, it was told to me beforehand that it was, that it looks a little bit like the prison in Shawshank Redemption, and it, to, it totally was. I mean, these walls, they had to be at least 100 feet high, am I right? Probably like 30 or 40, but it seems massive, right? And they're really wide, um, and, and you go in and there's watchtowers all around, right? And, 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 and so you know that you're always being watched. And it wasn't helped by the fact that last Sunday, you may recall this, was much like yesterday. It was rainy and stormy, and so it's dark, it's gray, it's scary, and we're going into jail, Okay. And so I walked in, and I'm going to be honest with you, there was a part of me that was really excited to be there, and there was a part of me that really did not want to be there at all. And it wasn't helped by the fact that when we got in there, right, there was about 30 of us, and now my, my new closest friends, if you will, those of us who were going into the closing, and we went into what looks like kind of a birdcage, really. It's like, a, it's like a room full of bars. They've got, they've got two doors. One of them is closed and locked. One of them's open. And then you all come in, and you're all kind of in there together, really pretty tight, actually. And then they close, and they lock the other door. And you're just sitting in there or standing in there. Right? And I'm thinking to myself, why am I here? Right? And I'm a pastor, so I had to act like I love this, right? Or I closed my eyes, they thought I was praying. I was really praying for my life in some sense, right? And I would have texted my wife, except for the fact that they had taken my phone from me. So there was no way to get out. And finally, they opened that door, thankfully, but then we went into another birdcage-like apparatus. And so I was like, when is this going to end? And so, so finally, we get in, and we go into the room. And as we walk into the room, right, I had no idea what to expect. And, and there were a bunch of prisoners that were offenders, as they call them, that were over here in a group. And they had already gone through Cairo's program some point in the years ahead. And, and so I, and when I went in there, I would love to tell you that when I saw them, I thought to myself, oh, look at these brothers in Christ. This is great. What I actually thought to myself was, if these guys get angry, 
I am in trouble. And I thought to myself, I can take one or two of them. The chaplain, I think I could take the chaplain. But other than that, this is not going to end well, right? And, I mean, one or two of them walk behind me. And, look, I'm, I'm honest here, man. I was holding my breath a little bit. And then the service began. I started with music, and there was a wall that was removed, and then we could see the guys who had gone through this weekend, about 40 of them. And, and they were singing, and it was, it was, it was pretty wild. And, 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 and then after the song was up, they started going up, and groups of six or seven, and they began to talk about what the weekend had been like. And they, they began to say, well, you know, um, uh, you know, they talked about the food. Apparently the lasagna that that weekend was amazing. And so they kept talking about the lasagna and, um, and how great it was. In fact, I think, and I don't think they were kidding, I think some of it was uh, caught in contraband as they were going out. Some people had actually put it in their pockets, right? That's some good lasagna. But then they also began to talk about the fact that for the first time in a long time, they had they had been able to put their mask down, maybe even since childhood. And for the first time in a, in a long time, I mean, they were able to be somewhat, you know, somewhat vulnerable with each other. And, and you know this, in, in prison, that's not a place to be vulnerable. That's not where you want to be vulnerable. But, but for the first time, they were given space to be, to be vulnerable and to be honest. And, and as they kept talking, you could kind of tell. And they began to, all of a sudden, one of them began to cry. And I, I got to tell you, that's, that's when I started to kind of lose it. When I saw these, 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 these offenders who, to me, were just, were, were just a completely different sort in all honesty. All of a sudden, I saw them begin to cry. And another guy who stood up and began to cry, and he said, it's been 20 years since I have cried. And they began to talk about the grace and the love of Jesus that they had felt that weekend. And all of a sudden, it became very clear to me that there had been a way, something had happened in those four days amongst the listening, listening, loving, loving, and the food, and the talk, and the appreciation, and the welcome, and the inclusion, that something happened, and that they had begun to see God differently. And then a few minutes later, as they were continuing to talk, all of a sudden a guy stands up and he says, you know what, i gotta, I got to tell you that not long ago I was in a fight with, with another prisoner. And he's going on, and he's describing it a little bit. And then one of these guys to the right stands up. And I think to myself, this could be bad. And all of a sudden they're walking towards each other. And of course, what happens is not what I would have initially expected. But what happens, of course, is that these two offenders are sitting there who had, who had fought who knows how long before. And they're embracing one another. And then another guy stands up and he says, you know what? When I first got here in 2009, I think he said some six years ago, I'd gotten into a, uh, I'd gotten into a, a, a disagreement with a guy. And I've never talked to him since, even though he was a friend of mine. I've never talked to him. And, I, and basically, I want to change that. And all of a sudden, this guy gets up and he, another guy gets up and he goes over. And, they, and this was not a quick kind of, you know, chest kind of hug. This was an embrace from two offenders who are crying at the fact that now they have been changed. And I thought to myself, well, of course. Because when we begin to see Jesus differently, we can't help but begin to see one another differently. And it changes the way we see each other, no matter where you might be. 
This week, as I was continuing to kind of think about that, and as I was continuing to be blown away by, by the guys from, from our church and other churches who go there and who intrude upon these people's lives and, and, and the sacrifice and what that means for them to have shown the love and grace of Jesus, we're talking about it. Meg and I are on a Tuesday or Wednesday. We're having dinner together. And, you know, our four-year-old and our five-year-old, they, 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 they couldn't figure out. They'd asked me a few times, now, why, why exactly did you go to to worship again in, in prison. And, you know, they're like, you know, mom's always told us that you would end up there, but we never thought it would be quite this soon. And, and so, you know, Megan, Megan, you know, uh, is giving an answer, and she's like, well, you know, you, you know, th- these guys, you know what, yeah, maybe they've made mistakes, but, but you know, they need to know that they're loved, and, and they need to know that, 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 that God loves them. And, 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 and so she's saying that, and all of a sudden, our five-year-old girl, Shaughnessy, says, you know, well, of course... Of course, she says, that's why, that's why we made those placemats. Well, we made those placemats because we, because we love them. And it stopped me in my tracks because, you know, I've told you this before. I told you that we make these placemats, that the kids make these placemats that they then take to this Kairos weekend in the prison. But, but I didn't think that my daughter actually got it. I, I thought she was just coloring on a piece of paper. I didn't think she really understood. And all of a sudden, I realized that, that our five-year-old, and when I say our five-year-old, I mean our five-year-old, Shaughnessy, and our seven-year-olds and eight-year-olds or whomever, that they were in prison with us. And that when those placemats said something to those prisoners, to those offenders, that when they made those, they were entering into that prison and they were saying, Jesus loves you and we love you as well. And even if everyone else has forgotten about you and you don't feel forgiveness, we want you to know that we and Jesus love you. And as I thought about today in the service and, 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 and the third grade Bible dedication that we had earlier and the baptism of two babies that we're going to have here in just a, a couple of minutes, it was yet one more great reminder to me. As I say numerous times, when we have children up here, they are not props. And they are not up here to simply be cute and fuzzy. That we believe that they actually have something to offer to the kingdom of God. And so when these two babies come up here and when the third graders are up here, my challenge was was for them to know that as they begin to see the stories in the Bible, to realize that they are portals into a different world, into a different way of seeing things. And that when we begin to allow these children to read these stories... And when we begin to believe alongside of them that God works through these stories and that God desires us to see things in different ways, then there is no telling whose lives might be changed. There is no telling what chains might be freed. There is no telling what prisoners might finally be free by the grace of Jesus Christ. What any of us might be freed when we allow our children to take these stories seriously. And so my hope and my prayer this morning for us as we have these two families who will come up here and as they are being ushered into our community as covenant children, that we will take it seriously. And that we will take seriously the reality that when the light of Jesus intrudes upon our lives, that he will never, ever allow us to see anything as we once did.
May the intrusion and the conversion of Jesus the Christ come upon each and every one of us, not just in a moment, but until he returns and his kingdom has come. Amen? Amen. And so with that, let me ask these two families if they would please.